Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on scripture. Thank you for joining me. future of the United Methodist Church in a short series on this podcast. We're in a season in the denomination where some churches are choosing to disaffiliate because they feel they can't be part of a church that may be heading down the path to ordination of openly LGBTQIA persons, or that may someday allow for weddings between same-gender persons to take place in their sanctuaries. So far we've heard perspectives on where the denomination stands now, and we've heard details dating back to 1968 of how we got to this point. In this episode, I think it's important to explain the logistics of disaffiliation. What exactly does that word even mean? And how has the Great Plains Conference chosen to work through this process with churches that choose to leave? It turns out it looks very different here compared to some other annual conferences. And it turns out there are some pretty good reasons why that might be the case. In this episode, I will share my conversation with Scott Brewer, the Great Plains Conference's treasurer and director of administrative services, He's the guy tasked with helping churches navigate the process from the nuts and bolts standpoint of things. We'll also talk to Reverend Rick Just, pastor of Asbury Church in Wichita. He's a former district superintendent who is leaving the denomination and whose church is disaffiliating at our upcoming September 10th special session of annual conference. He'll share what his experiences have been here in Kansas and Nebraska. And finally, we'll talk to Reverend Stephanie Alshweed. She's the lead pastor of St. Paul's United Methodist Church in the Benson neighborhood of Omaha, and she's president of the Great Plains Conference's Board of Trustees. From her, we'll learn about the mindset of the trustees as they worked through this process. Before we get started, here's a couple of definition reminders. When you hear a reference to a special session, we're talking about the special session of our annual conference scheduled for September 10th, 2022 on Zoom. When you hear references to paragraph 2553 or just the numbers 2553, What we're talking about is a provision added to the Book of Discipline after the special session of General Conference in 2019. The Book of Discipline, that's our book of church law and polity. And paragraph 2553 allows for disaffiliation for churches who choose to do so because of their concerns over human sexuality issues. And finally, when you hear the word protocol, we're talking about the protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation. It's a proposal to allow for an amicable separation of churches with different theological stances. Throughout the episode, I'll cut in a few times when we get to parts that require a little more explanation. But first, let's get started. Here's my interview with Scott Brewer. I'm joined now by Scott Brewer, our conference treasurer and director of administrative services. 
Uh, jack of all trades is <laughs> probably one way to put it. Other duties as may be assigned. That's yeah. right. Scott, you have been the kind of the lead person on helping churches that have chosen to disaffiliate. For Part of it is your position and part of it is your demeanor, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the way you handle things, is, I think, is fantastic. The way you work with people and help people understand things. You're probably the first person to help me understand some of the things related to budgeting, uh, despite <laughs> all my years of dealing with that in the past. So I want to ask you, though, um, we'll start with some basics here. How many churches from the Great Plains Conference have chosen to disaffiliate so far? And what does disaffiliation actually mean for the church that chooses to do, go that route? Well, first of all, it's good to be here. Uh, there have been now 22 churches that have formally disaffiliated. We had our first round of those in 2020 when there were six. There was another four in 2021, and then we had 12 at the June annual conference that were ratified, and then those went into effect at the beginning of July. We have another 55. Uh, we just got another one uh, that will be coming up for ratification at the upcoming September 10th conference session. Uh, in terms of what disaffiliation is and what that means for a local church, basically what it is is a a severing of ties uh, in terms of the institutional relationship between that particular congregation and the United Methodist Church, uh, both as a denomination and our annual conference uh, specifically. And so the uh, church, uh, after disaffiliation, basically for all intents and purposes, at least for that moment, is independent. They can then decide if they want to join another denomination or if they want to remain independent. Um, we don't uh, have a lot of formal data on all of our churches as of yet, but uh, my understanding is we've had churches that have decided to go uh, both directions, both independent and joining other denominations. And as part of that severing, then, the annual conference releases any and all claims that it has on the church. When a church closes, the assets of that congregation, both its, its building and, and any uh, investments or bank accounts it has, that's all to transfer to the annual conference because those are all held in trust uh, for the benefit of the denomination as a whole. In this situation, then, the annual conference is releasing any claim on both the real estate and then on any of the financial assets of that church. Um, and in turn, the local church is saying, we're not going to make any claims upon the annual conference in the future as well. And so, as I say, it from a legal perspective, it really is just sort of cutting off that relationship. Um, although, of course, um, the, the actual relationship and the bonds can still continue in, in other ways. Yeah, as we talked about with a few other folks, uh, it's not like all of a sudden neither one exists to the other one. We're not dead to each other. No, no, <laughs> not by any means. Uh, but it does mean that the official business type of relationship is no longer there. Yes, that's right. Um, this is not an easy process, um, nor is it one void of emotional moments, because people have known each other in many cases for years and years and years. Um, what are some of the intricacies of the disaffiliation process that you've noted as you've helped churches go through this? You know, the, the Book of Discipline in, in 2553, which is the provision that all of this is governed under, it has a, a very set process. And, and part of that process is that uh, per the discipline, the, the only reason that a church is allowed to disaffiliate is based upon 
uh, its response to either what the general conference has done or its annual conference has done uh, on the questions around human sexuality in the church. That said, most churches, actually I'd say all churches that have gone through this process, um, there are other reasons why they've made that decision. Um, and in some cases, there are relationships that have been uh, rocky uh, and have been in difficult straits for maybe even generations. Um, and so when I come into that situation, as someone who's still relatively new, I, I didn't come to the conference till late 2016, um, I both am oftentimes ignorant of some of those relationship issues in the past. You don't know what happened 40 years ago? Generally not, no. Uh, I, sometimes I don't remember what I had for breakfast. Uh, but the advantage is I probably wasn't involved in whatever that history was. Um, and so we have very clear requirements that the Book of Discipline requires us to follow, that the policies that have been decided upon by our annual conference, the voting members of our annual conference in, in session have decided. So, so there's a process that we have to follow as part of the fiduciary duty that, that I have as treasurer, that the Board of Trustees have in, in their role. Um, but within those confines, within that structure, um, we also really try to keep the process as simple as possible, which is not very simple, um, but perhaps more importantly, to keep it as grace-filled as possible. Um, we, we do not treat this as just um, your typical real estate transaction, um, although much of the form and content is not dissimilar from, for instance, when our annual conference sells um, a closed church property to a private individual through, through a quick claim deed. Much of that paperwork is really very, very similar. Um, nevertheless, in, in this situation, we really do try to uh, provide as much grace as possible um, and as well be as consistent, as clear, uh, and um, uh, as simple as possible in terms of both the communications and the way that we, we interact with, uh, with the churches. And so far, I think that's been pretty successful for, for our conference. The provisions of disaffiliation require certain things of churches. There's, there's money that has to be paid. Mm -hmm. Let's go through that just so people who have... There's a lot going on out there. There's a lot, a lot of things that have been said. There's a lot of stories written by, frankly, from blogs and other third-party types of places that sometimes don't get it quite right. Yep. Um, so what are some of the, th what are the things that churches have to pay just so we get kind of that that out there for folks they understand better. Sure, and let me back up for a second too and make it really clear. Every annual conference does this a little differently um, and we have that ability, unlike usually when it comes to a lot of things in the United Methodist Church, the way that these provisions were written, it gave a lot of latitude to boards of trustees and annual conferences and to annual conferences to make some determinations. Um, so part of what people are hearing about and reading about while it might be true in another annual conference, it's not necessarily true in the Great Plains. Um, and we could go on for probably days on all the intricacies that could be involved in that. Nevertheless, here in the Great Plains Conference, and let me again underline, here in the Great Plains Conference, just for us, just for us the price or the cost that churches are required to pay is, first of all, they must be fully paid up on the previous 12 months of mission shares as of their date of disaffiliation. So for the churches that are coming up 
for instance, is September, that will be uh, leaving the United Methodist Church at the end of September, you know, 1201, October 1. Uh, I don't plan to be up at that point, but I guess that maybe is the official time. Um, for those churches, that means they need to be fully paid up on the last quarter of 2021 and the first three quarters of 2022. All right, so, so that's... We don't base it off of just calendar year. It really is the, so the they 12 take, months. They can take their mission share letter that they received, divide that by 12, and that's the... Yes, yes. Okay. With a little more complicated math just to make it as, as difficult as I, possible. I know I've way oversimplified that, uh, but, but just trying to help people kind of understand how that works. It, it's not based on calendar year, I guess, is, is really the way to say it. It's based on the previous 12 months, however that landed. Then a future 12 months. Now, technically, we don't know because we haven't approved a budget. That's going to be, again, something that will happen at this special session, I hope. Um, we don't know at that point, technically, what the uh, future 12 months is going to be. And so in order to provide consistency and clarity, we have always simply uh, uh, assessed whatever is the current year's uh, total mission shares for that church. So. In this case, for all the churches that are disaffiliating in September, they're then expected to pay whatever was the full amount for 2022 and for 2023. Uh, but just to keep it as simple as possible. See how I said? Like, it's not very simple. So those are the, and those are the easy parts. Then we get to the third piece, which is the largest part of that cost. And this is the part that's by far the most confusing to even folks who somewhat understand it. Absolutely. Uh, which I'm, I can't claim that I understand it, but I'll at least try to explain what little I do understand. The, this is the unfunded pension liability. Uh, if we were to try to take the total liability for the three pension plans that we have um, and, and go and sell that as an annuity on the private market. And so there's a lot of actuarial assumptions that go into that, and this is particularly where I, I struggle to understand the whys and wherefores of um, the work that actuaries do. Um, that has changed and fluctuated significantly over time. A lot of that fluctuation, uh, as it has declined here in the last few years, has been driven by interest rates and the fact that interest rates have continued to increase um, that the effect of that is is that if if you are getting when you annuitize these liabilities right it, it is basically saying okay I'm going to go buy as conservative of an investment as I possibly can so that I know and I can ensure that that uh, money is there right so and basically the same is is if you're you're buying or you're you're putting it out as a CD right CD rates have been very very low for a long time. Right. Interest rates now, though, are starting to increase. The Fed is trying to slow down the economy a little bit, get a little cooler. Uh, and so as that uh, interest rate increases, the total liability decreases. Now, on top of that, Westpath, in, in doing this calculation, and that, that particular piece, they've done that actuarial work for years and years. This is not a new thing. But then because they have that assumption of it being uh, something that you're selling or, or trying to, to get annuitized on the private market, um, there's been a markup of that total liability that's also been applied to it. Historically, it had been 10%, but starting, if I remember correctly, as of the end of July, it was moved to 5%. I don't know uh, the reasoning behind that. I don't know uh, what uh, what was the, the cost for it? My understanding is it was based partly on changes in um, what uh, what is prevailing practice in the industry. Um, so it's not just getting pulled out of thin air. 
the, but I have had some churches that have approached us and said, so how, how much has this changed for, for our conference? Um, you know, and, and are we going to get new, this is disaffiliating churches, are we going to get a new amount? Uh, and, and the answer is no, uh, partly because we already did an update in March, one that reflected a lot of the interest rate changes that are already made, mm-hmm. actually cut that total liability in half. Um, but, and sorry, this is probably a little more of a rabbit trail than you wanted to go down. If we were to update it again based upon the July 31 numbers, while the liability would go down because they went from this 10% markup to a 5% markup, the stock market has not been doing especially well. And so while I don't have numbers in hand, my assumption is that uh, we might break even uh, or it might even be a little more expensive simply because the decline in our investments, unfortunately, has been greater than what would be the decline or, or the impact of that of that markup change. All those things go into those complicated formulas that people way smarter than me and me <laughs> have, yeah. to, have to work on. The important thing behind this that people need to understand, I think, is that we're really talking about fulfilling the promise to our pastors. Uh, pastors who have served for a really long time, who have been retired or getting ready to retire, they're expecting money to be there because that's what we promised them throughout their ministry. And so the idea here is to ensure that that money is there. Um, and I think that's important for people to understand that this has to do with uh, taking care of the people who took care of congregations for so long. That's a really good and important point. And, and again, this speaks to the fact that every annual conference is different. And so in our annual conference, uh, on a, a, a funded basis, which is how we usually talk about pensions, we're able to assume that if the market goes down, we can ask churches for a little additional support to make sure we keep those promises. That's what it's called a funded basis. The market basis and what we're doing here in disaffiliation is saying, well, look, if, if we do have a market decline that is really massive and that really puts us in a place where we're concerned about being able to keep those promises, we're not going to be able to go back to you and ask for a little more money. And so as a consequence of that, we're looking to get this funding to, uh, to ensure, yes, that we, can, that we can keep those promises. Um, because our conference is well-funded, uh, it is less of a concern for us, and the amounts are significantly lower than what you might find in, in other annual conferences. And, and so while there is this liability piece, uh, the thing I do want listeners to understand is, at the same time, our pensions actually are well-funded. Um, this is a highly conservative, cautionary uh, move uh, that was determined by the general conference so that we indeed could could keep those promises moving forward. Uh, one other thing to mention, because it sometimes comes up, uh, churches say, well, look, we haven't had a pastor who was getting a pension in 20 years. Why, why are you asking us to, to contribute to this? Uh, first of all, the conference has a set formula that we apply to every church on an equal basis. That's kind of uh, assumed inside the, the disciplinary provisions we're trying to follow here. Um, and so it's important that you also divvy that up on an equal basis or on a uniform basis um, from, from one church to the next. And so, um, again, that, that's all been determined by a formula that actually we passed way back in 2019. Uh, and it, again, has then removed a lot of the guesswork. Um, so that once we know what the actuarial assumptions are that Westpath's using and what the updates are going to be, we can have those numbers available uh, pretty quickly. A- and I do think, uh, because we will have new numbers going into 2023, uh, those likely should be available around the middle of October uh, for churches that might be discerning uh, whether uh, what direction they want to go for next year. One of the things we've talked a little bit about in previous episodes is paragraph 2553, which is what this is all coming from. 
has a sunset. Uh, December 31st of 2023, it goes away, um, which is different than almost everything else in the discipline. Right. <laughs> everything else in the discipline is there. It's the way it is. Uh, and so that's why there's, a, a, I guess you would say, a sense of urgency for, for some congregations anyway. There are, and just to interject on that, you know, that, that is something that we'll have to consider uh, as an annual conference and, and we'll have to look at is are, are there still ways, even amidst the sunset of that provision, that we can reduce anxiety levels? Because really the last thing I think, um, if I can speak on behalf of the, the trustees, uh, which I shouldn't do, but, but uh, we've had a lot of conversations about these sorts of things. I, I think, you know, the board of trustees and conference leadership, again, want to keep uh, anxiety levels as low as possible and allow churches to make careful, informed decisions that are done um, in, a, in a prayerful, faithful manner. And so what we will continue to look at ways that we can reduce those anxiety levels um, because, yes, with that sunset provision, as we assume we're having a general conference in 2024. We don't actually even know that. We really hope for one this time. Uh, yes, I think. Um, <laughs> But but we will at least have then a, a period of, you know, four to six months between the end of 23 and whenever that general conference happens mm-hmm. where we may not – where we will not have any official provisions that allow for a church to disaffiliate. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of work still to be done on that. But I just want people to hear that we're going to continue to work, I, I hope, in this conference on – keeping the levels of tension and anxiety to a low so churches can make their decisions in the time they need. That leads me to the next question, which is uh, some conferences, it's been well documented, have been fraught with acrimony. Uh, I think that's fair to say, and frankly, just some nasty behavior um, uh, toward one another. We've largely avoided that kind of atmosphere in the Great Plains. Can you describe for people what the Great Plains Conference's philosophy has been throughout this process? Uh, in your work with the trustees and how that has helped helped keep those tensions down a little bit? Yes. Um, I think fundamentally, uh, and, and hopefully you hear this from others that you talk to as well, fundamentally the philosophy that we have applied or the theology that we've applied has been do no harm. And, and that goes even all the way back to conversations that we were having in 2019 within the Board of Trustees. And, and that guiding principle of do no harm has carried on through all of the future decisions that, that have needed to be made. I'll say, too, I think some of where we're at as an annual conference and what makes us different, uh, some of this goes all the way back to the 1990s and the, um, the fallout, uh, particularly speaking as a, as a Nebraskan, the fallout from the, the Jimmy Creech trials. Jimmy Creech is a name that may ring a bell for some people, but especially if you are a United Methodist from Nebraska. Creech faced two church trials, one in 1997 and another in 1999, for conducting two same-gender covenant ceremonies after the United Methodist Church's General Conference had passed legislation prohibiting such unions in 1996. The church trials, the last one resulting in Creech being defrocked, tore apart long-held relationships among friends and colleagues. When I first moved to Nebraska in February 2015, I had more than a few people bring up that episode in the life of the former Nebraska conference as they expressed hurt, even what was at that time 16 years later. That uh, really had a, a, a very damaging effect on a lot of relationships throughout the conference. It was um, a very difficult time. And I think that at least for some of us, because we remember that 
time. And we remember what was lost in terms of relationships. It has informed the way that we have responded in, in, this, in this time. And I want to be really clear, it's, it's not to say that these are not terribly important questions and that it isn't important for people to stand on their principles and to stand for what they believe um, God wants and what, what God is calling them to do. Uh, nevertheless, there are ways that we can do that. There are ways that we can be principled that are uh, faith-filled and are life-giving and are supportive of one another, that demonstrate love, and there are ways that we can do it that, that don't. Um, those are usually on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so, so I think that's, a, that's an important element of it. Um, there, there also, I think, too, though, are just fundamentally differences around the Great Plains Conference in comparison to some of the other conferences. And, and these are kind of more real-world factors that come into play. Um, we do have a sizable number of churches that, that are disaffiliating, right? If, you, if all of the ones that are coming uh, in September go, that's 77 churches. But it also means that around the end of this year, we'll still have about 900 churches remaining. Um, so yes, it's a significant number leaving. Organizationally, though, um, the impact of that isn't the same as if it was 77 churches in, uh, say, the, um, the North Texas Conference, which has a, a much, much smaller number of churches. Um, we are organizationally strong. We are financially secure. And so frankly, we as a conference, because of those factors, have... Um, for lack of a better word, we have the luxury of being grace-filled in, in this process in terms of where the conference is coming at. We will continue to be able to afford our ministries even as, as we say goodbye to these churches. And, and there's still going to be a lot of pressures it puts on us. It's still going to create some real struggles. It, it unfortunately does create a lot of, of pain uh, in congregations um, and, and in our mission field. Um, but we as a conference, because of where we are positioned, organizationally and financially, we are able to, to, to apply that grace in some ways that I'm not sure every annual conference is, is going to be in the, in the same place. Yeah, I think there's, a, like you said, it's not that this is easy. Uh, we want to make that very clear. This is not easy. We're talking about relationships that people have had that are going to be broken. Um, we may not be throwing stuff at each other, but we're still not going to see each other Right. often. Um, you know, you think about the things we build in just for clergy. There's annual conference, there's orders and fellowship where they get together purposefully twice a year and now there's some folks that they won't be there. Yep. Uh, Lay Servant Ministries has things set up that, you know, that folks often see each other at different things and that won't happen necessarily in the future. But it would have been way, way worse if it had not been for the way that Kansas West Kansas East and Nebraska came together back in 2014 to form the Great Plains. And I'm talking about trying to build relationships over the course of time, and that did take a while. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got here in 2015, there was still everybody using the old language. Uh, it's gradually gone away to now we, those are really rare that I come across. It's the Great Plains. It's not, well, in the Kansas East or the Kansas West. I mean, there was just, that was always yes. the way it was. Yeah. Um, but also the financial reserves that those three brought together uh, made for a really strong foundation to get started uh, mm -hmm. in ministry. And, those, and that, thankfully, is a legacy that we still have uh, that's helping us get through this process. Uh, let me ask you this. What, what is the goal for the Great Plains Conference regarding all this? We get on the other side of 2010. Uh, 2010, what am I talking about? Well, we get to the other side of September 10th. Yes. Uh, what does it look like uh, for the Great Plains? What's the goal uh, 
from your standpoint of, of how we deal with this situation? Well, the, the first thing is that the goal continues to be to remain in relationship with one another. Uh, there will be churches that, for various reasons, will not be able to disaffiliate as of the end of September. They won't have the money together. They'll have issues with getting their insurance policies in order. Um, so there, some of it, there's just going to be a few stragglers that, that uh, we will seek to make sure are, are completed in that process by the end of the year. Um, but throughout that, and, and also considering there will still be churches discerning uh, these questions next year, the first order is to continue to, as much as possible, do no harm, have a, 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 a coherent uh, process that is, is, is stable and consistent and understandable uh, for churches that are discerning that as possible. So those are all you know, basic goals to have. Um, on, a, on a more broad uh, level, though, and, and kind of going into topic area where I have no business as conference treasurer. The, I think the bigger question is going to be about the mission field. Um, and some of that question already existed, right? We're coming out of a pandemic. You know, we have had radical shifts in what we consider to be sort of normal or acceptable forms of discipleship. You know, lots more people going online. Uh, you know, there's all manner of different uh, things swirling around. Um, but when you're when you're now also confronting not only having churches that have had to close uh, as partly as a result of the financial stresses they had uh, during the pandemic, but now also leaving the denomination, we as the Great Plains Conference have a, a responsibility for ensuring that, the, that we are still present in that mission field. There are, in most cases with these disaffiliations, there's at least a few votes, uh, in some cases a, a significant minority of votes, that are uh, persons who desire to continue to be in the United Methodist Church. And so, you know, from a resource perspective, we're going to continue to provide uh, the kind of resourcing that's necessary to ensure we can to minister to communities where we no longer have a United Methodist Church and to continue to minister to people who desire to be in that relationship. Uh, and even as we desire to work with disaffiliated churches, we're not going to give up on that mission field. And we're not going to cede territory, I hope, in this conference and say, uh, well, that's, that's not ours to, to work in anymore. That's never been the way uh, Methodists have worked since uh, the days of Asbury, and, and I don't think we should start now. Um, and I should say the appointment of Cadman has no, no plans for that whatsoever. It's, it's, no. it's obviously uh, on top of mind for them. How do we make sure we keep people connected who desire to stay a part of the denomination? Uh, I've been using the word, not the cabinet, I've been using the word the remnant. Yeah. Uh, you know, the folks who are left. Yeah, I have uh, too. Because I think that's appropriate. I think it's an appropriate way to look at it. And we want those folks to hear us and understand that we're going to be doing everything we possibly can to keep you connected. If it's not possible to get you to another congregation relatively close, we're going to try to do some things online uh, and in some special event types of things to help keep people connected with the denomination and with people that they know uh, from other congregations that they've had the privilege of getting to know over the course of years in ministry in various ways. And the great thing, because we do have that financial capacity that we talked about, is we have an ability to invest in our congregations and in our leaders that a lot of other conferences don't have. Um, we're going to have the ability to try new things, to make some experiments. Uh, to hopefully learn an awful lot, both from successes uh, as well as some failures. Um, 
And I think, honestly, you know, my, my overriding hope is that when we consider the challenges that are going to confront us with a new mission field, and when we consider all that we've got and, and all that we've been blessed with in terms of our um, organizational resources, uh, I think we're, we're called to do that work. And, and we're called, I think, to lead uh, in a denomination where people are going to be continuing to look for answers to these sorts of questions and where, um, God bless it, we've got the ability to, um, I think, to really lead on some important critical questions for the, for the church um, and to do it well. And so my hope is that we will lead um, and support the wider connection as we all work to figure this out. Future guest uh, here coming up in just a few moments is Rick Just, a pastor at Asbury Church down in Wichita, which is a disaffiliating church. Mm -hmm. And he's been a leader in the Wesleyan Covenant Association and in the early days of the Global Methodist Church. Uh, to echo something you said, he, 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 you'll hear this uh, when he talks, one of his primary functions has been to make sure people don't be jerks, <laughs> is the way that he put it. And those of you that know Rick can just hear him say that. Um, how instrumental has he been in trying in this situation to try to keep that acrimony down? You know, I, I have not been involved in those conversations that he's had with churches, but I will say from, from the little bit that I hear, both from Rick and in all my interactions with Rick, and, and with some other congregations who have really come to him and relied upon him as a resource, I, I would be totally falling down on answering your questions if I didn't give him some really major credit in, in this conference, keeping the temperature low uh, and really working with churches who are not coming into this situation with a great deal of trust around the annual conference. Um, but I think Rick even as he is, is helping to lead folks who are um, going to be exiting the United Methodist Church and joining the Global Methodist Church, he nevertheless uh, is very much someone who is a Wesleyan, uh, who believes in the connection, uh, and who takes very seriously his responsibility as, uh, as an elder to guide, to support, and to make sure folks have uh, good resources, good answers to questions, and again, are you know, trying to operate out of uh, Kansas kind and Nebraska nice, and uh, you know, staying true to our, our stoic Midwestern roots, um, and, uh, and yeah, not getting too dramatic about, about things. So I, I, owe, um, I owe Rick a great deal, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Um, uh, when we get all through this, I'll, uh, I'll probably send him a fruit basket. Uh, or if I get a chance, give him a big bear hug. But uh, one, one of the Next, let's get some perspective from someone who's leaving the denomination. Reverend Rick Just is president of the Great Plains chapter of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, a theologically conservative organization. He also assists churches disaffiliating to join the new Global Methodist Church in this region of the country. I met with Rick for the first time on my second day on the job in 2015, when he was a district superintendent in the Wichita area, and I immediately appreciated his wit. He and I talked recently at the church he serves, our conversation went on for nearly 40 minutes, so there's no way to get all of our conversation into this episode. What you'll hear are some of what I think are the highlights of that discussion. 
I did my best to stick to the heart of our discussion, and I think Rick and I kind of represent the majority of people in this split in the denomination. Clearly, we don't agree on everything, but we don't disagree on everything either. And I think we show that we can have some fun with one another while still talking about some difficult subjects. Here's my conversation with Rick Just. When the great answer in 2019 was supposed to solve all the problems, as you know, with regards to sexuality debate. Well, you know how that went. Right. Uh, uh, that was a time where, okay, it looked like, okay, this UMC thing, this united in United Methodist Church is far from united. And it just like, okay, there's going to be, a, there's a pathway here. There was already discussion about this prior uh, up in Portland. That's why St. Louis came about and so forth. But um, so there was conversation about how can we see this happen? Well, that's when the protocol came about in the early part of 2020. And I'm thinking everybody at that point felt, okay, we might be actually a good witness to the world around us and show that we can amicably separate. We had people who signed from the progressive, the traditional, and the centrist. We had people on board. They weren't necessarily drinking buddies, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, they got together and... and uh, I mentioned in a previous episode that when I saw the group photograph, my, the first thing that crossed my mind is I bet those folks have never been in the same room together uh, that close ever before ever yeah, in yeah. their lives. But the, the, but the good thing was, I mean, here they did come to an agreement. It was like, okay, you know, General Conference coming in 2020, it looks like this thing's going to fly. This will be, a, in my opinion at least, mm -hmm. will be a great witness because last thing we need is another mess in the church, you know, because everybody's picking up on it out there, uh, not just Methodist Church, but anything. And so, of course, then COVID hits, and we have a postponement, then we have another postponement, and then we're thinking, okay, maybe uh, in this year, well, it got postponed again. And so what the WCA had been doing, really working as a midwife to move, uh, move the more traditional part of the church into something uh, led to the GMC, Global Methodist Church. Uh, once the announcement came, as you well know, that, uh, that general conference of this year was going to be put off again till 2024, the GMC launched on May 1. Mm -hmm. And so thus they're, you know, very fledgling. It's on the front end. I mean, it's, it's, it's a living into uh, denomination, I find myself passing the baton uh, in the WCA piece, not sure who that person is yet, to someone who's, who's hanging in with the UMC for, for, for now, and maybe forever, because, you know, there's going to be traditionalists in the UMC, at least I anticipate mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, there's all sorts of conversation about that, but, you know, we have, we, we're just going to have to figure out. We're going to be still working together as we move forward. Uh, and so whoever that person is, I don't know. I want to have you talk just a little bit about the decision. Sure. For Asbury Church and then for yourself. Um, I mean, it's one thing to have, you, you maybe come from a more conservative uh, theological standpoint than, than some other colleagues, mm -hmm. but it's a major step to decide to yeah. disaffiliate. Yeah. Uh, and because of how ingrained you were in the United Methodist Church, that's, I know that's not an easy decision. Yeah. So I wonder if you would please share with me what that was like for you personally, sure. what route you had to take to get there, and then help people understand the church and, and what decisions had to be made. Yeah, and I think people, you know, at times may misunderstand me in that sense because, yes, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, 
I can be vocal about what I believe and where I stand and so forth. And, you know, I have the target on my back as being the conservative mouthpiece for the conference, if you will. But, you know, I've been a part of this conference way back to the Kansas West days, you know, uh, since the early 90s. And so, you know, it, it is hard. I mean, I've got great friends across the aisle. I mean, we, you know, I've got great friends that I've been working with for, for years. And to think about, you know, to think about that piece, not that we won't continue to be friends or continue to connect somehow, but it won't be like it was. It won't be like it was. And so that's difficult. It's difficult to leave uh, the church that I was called into as far as the initial denomination mm -hmm. that I was called into. Uh, you know, that's not easy. Um, you know, you make some vows and so forth, and that, you know, here we are. And so that's not been easy. I remember uh, my, my second year, I think I was here, and, and these conversations were already taking place uh, here. And, and I remember getting emotional talking about it with the board saying, well, you know, I've been a part of this since, you know, early 90s. And, you know, and some people, you know, how they can be, let's go, let's go. Well, it's not, it, it's just not let's go, let's go. And so there was that piece that played out. Um, my struggle then began, though, as I, as I began to live into the, you know, into the years of being a pastor. And I, I remember at Kansas West uh, one, one, one year when we were having devotions early morning and a person was given devotions, and somebody chastised this person for talking too much about Jesus. And I thought, we're in trouble. I mean, honestly, I thought... How can we talk too much about Jesus when he's the head of the church? And so, you know, that, that really began to bother me. And then some other things that were going on, and, and I, realized, I realized the hot-button topics are always going to be argued. I get that. But way deeper than that, those are more presenting issues, you know, sexuality, abortion, all that. But, you know, the deeper stuff of the theology, who is this Jesus we're talking about? What, what is Christology? What is the Trinity? What is the church? Um, what's it mean when we talk about the authority of Scripture? And I know I've heard all sorts of arguments over that and, and, and so forth. But what do we mean by all that? And pretty soon I, I, just, I just saw this, this great divide. I mean, we might be using the same words, but we don't mean the same thing at all. And so I saw that. And then as we, the real kicker for me was 2019. I mentioned this earlier, the, um, the general conference in St. Louis. That was so painful. I was an alternate, so I was not out on the floor. Uh, you know, really, I was from, you know, observing more so as an alternate delegate. And uh, it was just heavy. It was awful heavy, heavy, heavy. And, you know, it was anticipated by the more progressives that this was going to pass. They'd move into the one church plan. Well, for me going in, I mean, I saw the numbers, and I was just pretty sure it wasn't going to pass. And I thought, oh, what are we, what's going to happen here? And sure enough, it was just, I mean, it was ugly. You know that. It was terrible. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. And then I remember getting called out on social media by some of my friends that I'd known for years. And I thought, ah. And I wasn't even out on the floor. I hadn't even said anything. And I thought, oh, man, is this where we're going? And, and that was painful. That was, that was painful. And so, you know, I got more involved then with the WCA since that time. And so it led to, you know, as I came here, Asbury was already, I mean, they've, they've, they've struggled in the past with what it means to be United Methodist. 
And then as I came and, and, and they wanted to hear more, that's one thing about Asbury. They know what's going on. They are always paying attention. They're reading the stuff. They're reading your stuff, brother. <laughs> They're reading all the things that are out there. And so we began, I mean, gosh, before COVID, we'd, we'd been having church meetings already. And we'd been having conversations. And I'd been sharing with them. You know, I feel it's the role of the pastor. And I think this is where many pastors have let the church down. No matter where they stand on these things, as a pastor, they're the leader. They need to tell their churches what's going on because I'm hearing phone call after phone call when I get those, like even this week. This is the first we've heard of it. I'm thinking, how can this be? Well, if the pastor hides it. So I, you know, no matter where the pastor stands, they need to let the church know something's going on. And so we had lots of meetings. Um, it led to moving into the process of the disaffiliation. I mean, they just I just knew where this church was going to be on that. Uh, and then the process is the board chooses to uh, make that decision. We call Mitch was RD, is RDS, called him. He's talking about Reverend Dr. Mitch Reese, who is the superintendent of the Wichita East and West districts. We have the vote then as he led us. He did a great job being very objective, telling us all the things that, that had happened, although they were quite aware, but he did a great job of leading that. And um, the disaffiliation then was passed. It's a two-thirds vote. It was quite beyond that. And uh, then we've been in the process then of, of moving forward. So we've had lots and lots of conversation. And I've had lots and lots and lots of phone calls and stuff just by virtue of being the president of WCA uh -huh. and connected with GMC. With the church going through that and with yourself going through mm -hmm. that, because like you said, there's, there is a mourning process yeah, with this. Yeah. Regardless, even the folks, I suspect there's even a few folks who they may be ready to go, but they still understand that this is a, this is not a jovial, jovial thing. This, yeah. is, this is this is that this has happened. Like you said, to be a witness to the world is right. really what we had the opportunity to be, right, and, right. and that for whatever reason that just didn't happen. I'm curious about the process in the Great Plains. Mm -hmm. um, so we're joined on this episode with, by Reverend Stephanie Alshweed uh, and by Scott Brewer. Um, Rick, I want you to kind of go through from your perspective sure. how that process went, um, not necessarily step by step, but just what was the yeah, feeling with you? What, what, yeah. was, what, was, what was the feeling with, with you working with them and working with the church? Yeah. I cannot say enough of how great Scott Brewer has been as our conference treasurer and Stephanie Alshweed as our conference trustee chair. I'm telling you, um, it, it was beyond great, and they have been beyond gracious. And, you know, you know me. I'm going to share what's on my heart, and I shared what's on my heart with both of them. And, and Scott and I, we were in conversation, I mean, it, every week, and just how, how does this play out? What's this look like? At first, when the protocol might happen, what's it look like for us? Well, then when we realize that wasn't going to happen and it moves to the disaffiliation, well, how, what's that going to look like? And what do you mean? How do you explain clergy pension liability? And I don't still know what that means, I don't think, you know, but I mean, it, right. how do you get to this number and, and, and what's it look like? Could it, could it be? He and I even talked about, I said, I, asked, I said, Scott, what would it look like if you and I put some legislation together? When it comes uh, annual conference time to show that hey you know we can we can work together in this thing and and it will be good for all that are involved and you know so we even talked about that possibility well then when some decisions came down by the trustees and so forth to really be gracious they've reduced the initial pension liability fund i mean that, that's just i mean we're just one of the very 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 few conferences 
in the whole, at least in America, in the U.S., that have been gracious like this. Now, there are some straight 2553, but for us, it's 2553 with a reduced clergy pension liability. So, I mean, they've been great. So Scott was so good, and I, I would talk with Stephanie, and, and, and then one time I know that I was having a meeting with the WCA, and I needed to tell them something. And, and she, knowing that uh, they were to have a meeting and they were planning a meeting, she even said, we need to do it before Rick has this meeting because he has a conversation with the WCA folks. And so she was so good. And, uh, you know, sh sh there was nobody who was trying to, to discount one another. There was no, like I told you, uh, do I have to wear Kevlar for, Kevlar for this? <laughs> no, nobody had to wear Kevlar, you know, or any of that kind of stuff. It, it was just so gracious. And so we just worked through, you know, what's it look like with apportionments? What's it look like with the pension liability? Uh, and then now that, the, you know, he sent the, the final stuff as far as instructions, of what we need, it, it's laid out pretty simply. It's been so good. And I, I have told people, call Scott. He is happy to help you, and he has been. He's been so good. You know, any church that calls, it's not like, oh, so you're going to leave? I ain't going to give you no numbers. No, he's been, he's been great. He's been really, really good. And Stephanie's been great. And, you know, theologically, we're, we're not on the same page necessarily, but we're really good friends. I, I can tell you that right now. I can tell you from the, from the conference level, uh, Bishop Science has been very clear from the beginning that this is all about the mission, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so it's that's his language. It, it's important for us to understand that if churches really don't want to be part of the UMC anymore, it's important that they get off to a good start because we also don't want to abandon the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ right. for the transformation of the world. Right. Um, that should be everybody's goal. Yeah. And and. Being belligerent doesn't help that. No, and we're seeing that in other conferences. It's terrible. It's onerous. It's punitive. It's and you know, and now they're having lawsuits. Praise the Lord, we're not in that mess. And that's I just hate. I hate seeing that. I really hate it. But Bishop Sign's been great. We were talking a little bit earlier. We're eventually going to be working together on right, stuff. Right. It's not like all of a sudden Asbury Church doesn't exist on the map anymore, exactly. or right. the or the United Methodist Church in you know down the road here doesn't uh, right. exist anymore. Right. A tornado could go down the middle of you tomorrow. There could be a flood here in Wichita, or there could be a really serious justice issue that's taking place in Wichita that you guys need to combine forces to make right. change happen. Uh, how important is it to stay, stay friends, for lack of a better way to yeah. put it, yeah. so that that work can be done a year, two, five years from now? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, my role and, and my... My intent has always been, and maybe my mantra has been, don't be a jerk. <laughs> Honestly, don't be a jerk. And, you know, I had, I had many people come up to me in annual conference who, they're not going GMC at all, but came up and just thanked me for the time and, and, and for our friendship and so forth. So I anticipate that continuing and, and my desire is that, I mean, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I, for example, Gary Brooks is down the road over here at Aldersgate. They're not going to go GMC. And he's called me and said, hey, we're, we're still going to be working together. I mean, you know, he and I have been in ministry a long time together. Sure. I mean, why would I not, why would I not want to work with Aldersgate when I'm working with the, the Bible church over here three blocks away, when I'm working with Olivet Baptist over here, when I'm working with the Nazarene over here? Why would I not do that? That makes no sense. None at all. 
So yes, we're, we're going to be paying attention to what that looks like, and we're going to be real intentional about being neighbor, in the neighborhood here about how does that work in light of even all the churches around here. So uh, that's important. And, you know, when I see, and in fact, I control, <laughs> we do have a, a WCA um, Facebook page. One's a, one's a public and one's a private. Mm-hmm. But I also control what gets posted on there, uh, specifically the, the private one, but uh, the, the public too. I, you know, I watch that, and if it looks like people are being a jerk, that, that's gone. I'm not just going to allow it. You know, we can give our opinions, uh, and we can be passionate and, and so forth. And there can be times, you know, Todd, maybe I don't agree with you, but I don't have to be a jerk in, in telling you that. You know, we're, we're at this time period. I appreciate how the annual conference approved the disaffiliation back in June. I anticipate that in September and probably next year again, uh, that people, you know, I, I just pray that, that wherever we all find ourselves, that we'll be gracious in this, that we'll bless one another. That's been my prayer, that we would shake hands, bless one another, and, and say, you know, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to do the best we can to do this thing together, even though we're maybe not in the same denomination. Next up is Reverend Stephanie Alshweet, President of the Conference's Board of Trustees. She joined me via Zoom for a chat about the conference's philosophy toward disaffiliating churches and the overall goals for the trustees as they do their work. In this conversation, Stephanie offers a hypothesis about why they've been able to stay cordial in the Great Plains Conference. It's an idea that, frankly, I had not given much thought to, but after hearing her say it, it just makes a whole lot of sense to me. Here's my conversation with Stephanie Alshweet. As the president of the Board of Trustees, could you tell me what that work was like for the trustees as they started to deal with these churches that had requested to disaffiliate? Right. Well, we wanted to be very respectful of the congregations, especially of the lay people, as they were making those decisions in the local church. And we were able, we were able to begin that work um, before we started receiving those requests. We were aware that this would be coming. And we wanted to make sure we did our research ahead of time so that we were able to provide as accurate information as we were possible and um, that we were very clear in our communications. And so we began researching um, what we would propose to make sure we got the appropriate approvals, that we were able to note what we were using as our guiding principles from the Book of Discipline and any judicial council rulings that were relevant. And of course, working with our conference attorneys because we wanted to be sure that whatever information we shared, um, if at all possible, it would not need to be changed partway through the process. Yeah, transparency has been one of those words that gets thrown out a lot, but that was really key in this process, wasn't it? It was really important to me. I've, I was a pastor, I've always valued um, lay people and their ministry. and. When you think about disaffiliation, a lot of that work is done by the lay people in the local church. And while clergy, I think, have fairly good access to resources that are needed for this kind of decision, we are accustomed to visiting the conference website, for instance, for forms that we need for our jobs. I I was really concerned 
that lay people have access to the information they needed and that all information they find be uniform in its writing and its clarity and that we be able to note the sources of that information in case they wanted to read further about what we were referencing. And I think that's been really helpful for everyone in the process. Disaffiliation and everything related to this is a very uh, emotional, just draining issue, right? I mean, all of this is tough, tough work because it's a tough decision from churches that choose to do it. It's difficult work to make sure that everything's done appropriately and respectfully. What was it like on the board of trustees? I mean, not without breaking any confidences to get everybody to around to the same philosophy that you just shared as far as trying to make this as amicable as process as possible and as open and transparent process as possible. I think it helps that as a trustee, we come to each meeting and start from the very, a very simple and clear theological perspective of doing no harm. And we talk about how if we are doing our work as administrators, we really should be fading into the background so that the ministries of congregations can shine. And that that works its way out in things that are as simple as helping facilitate just a regular church closure if it's needed. How do we take care of buildings? How do we negotiate insurance for properties that is as fair and as helpful as it possibly can be. And so we already had um, a will to be as helpful as possible. And we're all people who are members of churches or pastors of churches. And I I bring to this a memory of my mother. I don't remember what she was worried about in her local church. And she said something to me like, well, every single important thing that has ever happened to me has happened in this church. And I thought, wow, you know, Margreta Allsweet is a very reasonable woman. And this, this statement is not actually true. I mean, she was not actually born in that church. <laughs> she, she herself was confirmed in a church in Denmark, not in Lincoln, Nebraska. She did not graduate in that church. Um, she did not meet my father there. So, and ever since I've thought, you know, we, we all feel like that, though. We, churches... Our, our spaces and the congregations that we're part of are so, we are emotionally tied to them. And so it's very important to handle with care decisions made about them. And I, I just think about how many times there's been a crisis in a community and different congregations have come together to work. And I think it is reasonable for us to say even when a church disaffiliates, these are still our siblings in Christ. And even better yet, they're people that we already know. So why can't we not do this in a way that we can still work together? It just seems, it does seem reasonable that we should be able to figure that out, even while it is difficult um, to think about, frankly, to think about change. I know one of the things that the trustees were very cognizant of is once churches leave, they, you still want that. Those, they're not going to be part of the United Methodist Church anymore. But I know you also, as a group, want them very much to be able to succeed in their ministry. <laughs> uh, how how important was that as a guiding factor as you worked through that process with congregations? I think I'd say absolutely that that's one of the two most important things. I mean, we can't allow these departures to bankrupt the United Methodist Church in a a literal manner, so that we had to be 
principled in making sure that um, the United Methodist Church, which we're charged with, we're entrusted with, you know, caring for, um, that that would not be harmed. But once that happened, it's very important that these congregations be able to continue ministry, I think. And I feel like, you know, we use these words now and then in the church. We say the church is of God, but the church is not itself God. And I I feel like if I'm hearing people tell me that the institution of the United Methodist Church is now harming their ability to do ministry, I want to facilitate them getting to a place where they can do that ministry and not have that structure that's apparently, you know, hindering the ministry, get in the way. Because what we're after here, certainly from the trustee perspective as being administrators, is freeing people to do ministry. And that's that's what we want people to be able to do, do the ministry in the best format. And for, for me and the congregation, I serve the United Methodist format is best for us. But I, I would not want to hold anyone back or down. And I want people to be able to do their ministry. As you look back on the process that's happened so far, what are some of the things that you've learned? Some of the wisdom you can pass along to some others? It's It's been interesting from a couple points of view. One, I, um, I'll admit I wasn't that excited about the merger of our conferences when it started because it was a big change. I, I had to learn new people's names. That was, oh, man. And the annual conference wasn't at the Cornusker anymore. It's like, ah. Oh. Um, but in addition to now having favorite coffee shops and places like Salina and new friends like you, not bringing a lot of history about each other has really helped us, I think, in this merger process because um, we only know about 10 years of each other. And and when I've looked at either videos or news stories about other conferences, I've thought to myself, oh my gosh, we have, we don't have baggage with us. We don't have, we don't have apologies that we haven't yet said to each other. We, we're new to each other in general. I mean, that's, of course, there's exceptions to that. I want to respect that. But as a relatively new entity, I think we've been able to navigate this in part because we haven't had as much emotional baggage together. And I think we've had a will to say, okay, we're new to each other. How can we practice civic discourse in the midst of our attempt to show Christian compassion to one another? And that doesn't mean this has not been painful. There's been plenty of of pain and sadness um, in the midst of it, uh, you know, as trustees, I know we're trying to focus on God continues to do new things in our very midst. And how can we facilitate that for each other? And it's not like we're not going to still see each other somehow. We might have to make a bigger effort. You know, we don't automatically see some of us once a year or twice a year at meetings. We're going to have to, you know, get each other's phone numbers, but we can do that. there you have it. Some nuts and bolts, some explanation from a side you may not have heard much from, and some food for thought about how we all might continue to act toward one another. 
Through three episodes in this short series, we've talked about the current state of the United Methodist Church, we've talked about the history of the denomination's concerns over human sexuality, and we've talked about what it means to disaffiliate. We'll wrap up this short series in the next week or so with a fourth and final installment, with bishops talking about what they've witnessed and what their hopes are for the denomination going forward. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.
we can still stay in touch. 